Welcome, birders. This is Ed Pullen, your host on the Bird Banter Podcast, where birders talk birding. It was nice to talk with a new guest for the podcast this episode. It's been a while since I've had guests on a podcast, and it's exciting to be back in that uh, that mode. On the podcast, I've talked with birders who got an early start in birding and never looked back. Many of them have gone on to careers in birding and are both well-known in the birding community and are really well-accomplished. In my experience, birders who get their start early seem to have an ability to hear and see birds that's hard to achieve with a later start. Others, like myself, got a later start in birding, either as a young adult or even later in life. My guest on this episode, Dr. Jim Kettlecamp, is a recently retired internal medicine physician from Iowa City, Iowa, and he got his start in birding at a young age and was a pretty avid birder in his youth. But with the rigors of education, the practice of medicine, his family, he fell away from birding for most of his working life. In the last few years, he's rekindled his birding passion and started using eBird and has been one of the leading Johnson County, Iowa birders the last few years. He did a big year last year and seems like he's doing another one this year. He's also been traveling within the ABA area more and has become a proponent of backyard habitat restoration. You can see photos of his backyard on his Facebook page at Jim Kettle Camp. You can check his how to spell his name in the in the podcast episode at at Jim on Facebook. We also talk about the decline in birds, especially grassland birds and insectivores, from his days of birding as a youth to now. When he talks about the loss of hedgerows between farms that were commonplace when he was a young birder to the now endless gigantic agricultural fields and the lack of habitat for wildlife, including birds, it reminded me of a visit to England a few years ago. There, even the largest farms seemed to have pretty protected hedgerows between, between the fields. And I remember talking to locals about how this seemed to be the norm. On a quick internet search, it was clear that there are both regulations and incentives to protect and create this wildlife habitat in England. If anyone knows or has any experience with hedgerow habitat programs in the U.S., I'd love to hear about them. I'd be interested in knowing what's happening and what, what potentially might be done here with that aspect, of, uh, that aspect of conservation. Well, with that said, welcome Jim Kettlecamp to the Bird Banter Podcast, episode number 151. Jim, thanks for being on the podcast with me today. How's your day been? It's been excellent. You told me uh, when I when I picked up the Zoom call here that you went out birding this morning. What? How? Where'd you go? I went down to a place called Cone Marsh, uh-huh. which is about maybe thirty minutes from Iowa City, and it's a wildlife management area, so public hunting. Um, it was pretty good, uh, pretty busy this morning. Nice. Has migration kicked in there yet? So we've seen the bulk of the geese go through. Okay. Um, most of the diving ducks have continued on north, although there's still a fair amount of lesser scop. And we do probably have some ringneck ducks that will stay and actually breed around here. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's mostly dabblers now. Yeah. Okay. And the neotropes, they're still still working their way up. Um, yeah, so the first wave of thrushes, hermit thrush, uh, we're seeing yellow rumped warblers show up and then both kinglets, um, Phoebes are back, but yeah, we're still probably two weeks ahead of the big wave. Yeah. Yeah. So something to look forward to. Good for you. 
Good for you. Jim, I heard about you from uh, Matthew for Radford. Matthew and, and his son Levi were on the on the podcast back in November, and he reached out to me and said, you know, th- this uh, Jim Kettlecamp, he'd be a good guest. You should get a hold of him. So I, uh, I uh, sent you a message, and, uh, you know, 30 seconds later, I think you got back to me. That was pretty cool. <laughs> how do you, how do you know the Radfords? So I met Matt in 2019 when he was doing some surveying work for, I think the DOT mm-hmm. uh, here in Iowa. And he happened to be stationed in Coralville, which is right next door. Yeah. So uh, we met at a local park which has uh, a lot of really good habitat for migrating neotropical migrants um, and particularly warblers. So you guys got together and did a little local birding near your home. Uh, Have you uh, gotten together again since then or just uh, stayed in touch? Uh, We went to Michigan the following year for Kirtland's warbler. Oh, nice. And then he picked up a couple lifers up there. Uh, Matthew is more of a Western guy. He's from Idaho originally in Oklahoma. So he had some Eastern birds that were targets for him that we got up in Michigan um, and just had a really good time. And then last year we went down to uh, Big Bend uh, for Kalima Warbler. Yep, that's one I still need to go for. I, I've only been to Big Bend once. I visited Big Bend, oh gosh, a long time ago. When my children were little, we would, uh, on spring break, we would do an adventure trip. It always be, we try to make an adventure out of it. And one year, the adventure was to go camping at Big Bend. And we spent uh, a week there, but it was in April and way too early for Kalima. So uh, we got had a really nice trip, but Big Bend is a special place. Uh, you, you got the warbler, I'm sure. It seems like everybody does. No, we actually didn't. You, we we did. Sorry. Um, but I think we were there a little too late. We oh. ended up uh, there early June. Um, okay. hmm. So we have already planned a Kalima redemption tour, and we're <laughs> going to head down there uh, about four weeks. Good for you. It's a great place. I love Big Bend. It's just vast and wonderful you feel like you're going to see a dinosaur coming around the corner any minute when you're there yeah it truly is a spectacular park i was really surprised by how green it was Mm -hmm. it's a lot of wonderful riparian habitat and uh, all all of it prickly if i remember correctly (laughs) every plant there has sharp uh, sharp edges right yeah. Anyway, uh, so Jim, how did you get into birding? Tell me your birding story. How, how did birding become a part of your life? Well, when I was very young, I was extremely nearsighted. And when I finally got glasses and could see the leaves on the trees, mm-hmm. I could see the birds. Um, and I, I would say it was probably maybe age 11. Mm-hmm. Um started to really notice uh, just feeder birds. And that year we happened to have an eruption of evening grosbeaks, which are not, that's not a common event in Iowa. So that was, I think, probably my spark bird. I remember seeing this 
yellow, black, and white finch that looked like an American goldfinch on steroids. And mm-hmm. I was hooked from that point. Yeah, very nice. They are a special bird. And and it was a spring eruption probably. Around here at feeders, we get, you know, sometimes on a good year, we'll get a bunch from out of feeder. Yeah, I would say probably late February. Oh, wow, that early. Okay, cool. Cool. So it's so kind of a winter eruption there. Okay. Mm-hmm. We, we get them here at the feeders in the spring during migration sometimes. You know, they'll, they just move through two, three days. They're all over the place and then they're gone again. So, yeah, very cool. Good. Uh, so, uh, so where did it go from there? You, you uh, could see better and started noticing the birds and uh, got kind of enamored by evening gross beaks. Where, where did birding go from there for you? Well, I was very active uh, birding through junior high and high school um, uh, and just really locally. Um, also, you know, a few trips out West. Um, and then after high school, and I got into college and medical school after that and then practice. And it just kind of, you know, I didn't spend the time birding and probably took about a 35 year hiatus before mm. I started. Again. Yeah. I, I, I know about that uh, college and medical school and family and practice and all of that. I've done that too. Well, you you were, I think I, I saw online, you're an internist. Uh, retired. Yes. Retired excuse me. Yes. Retired. Forgot that key word there, retired internist. Uh, so how long have you been retired? I retired in October of 21. Wow. Okay. So you got the first of the, the really rough, uh, year or two with, uh, the pandemic. Yeah, it, um, it was definitely a, a different time and kind of stressful practicing during the pandemic. I can imagine. I, I, uh, yeah, I missed that. I retired. I retired. I'm a little older than you. I retired a little bit before that. So, uh, I, I still precepted a, a residency program nearby. So I kind of got the flavor of it, but never really got beaten up by it. So, yeah, that that was something. Anyway, uh, so you have been uh, back into birding, kind of uh, a lot uh, in the last just couple of years. It sounds like I. I'm new to eBird uh, 2019 is when okay. I started on eBird. And prior to that, I was birding pretty actively for maybe two or three years, maybe two years, really. Okay. So the last two or three years in practice and then uh, more time now that you don't have to get up to go to work every morning. Exactly. Very nice. What is uh what is a birding year like in your area? I mean, every every area has, you know, the seasons and stuff, but you know, it can be quite a lot different depending on where you live. You live in Iowa City? That is correct. And I have a feel for that. I uh I did last spring, I did a trip up the Mississippi River from New Orleans to uh, Davenport, Iowa, which is I looked on a map this morning, is only about an hour east of where you are. Uh and I actually drove from Davenport to Omaha. Uh, to get my airplane home. So I probably drove right by you. So I have a little bit of a feel for that area, uh, but it was just, you know, for a couple of weeks in the spring. So what's a birding year like in Iowa? January is looking for unusual gulls uh, and then some diving ducks. Um, and then of course, whatever winter finches might be about. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then of course, all of your kind of year round uh, birds. Um, 
And then February, we started to see a fair number of geese come in. Uh, mm -hmm. The first big wave of greater white fronted geese, followed by snow geese. Mm -hmm. um, and then we start to see pretty good numbers of diving ducks uh, by late February. Um, and then uh, through all of this kind of a smattering of gulls here and there. Uh, mm -hmm. And then uh, we will get our first real passerines coming in in about mid-March. Um, but it, it really is pretty slow uh, until almost the first of May. And then May is an extremely fast-paced, uh, intense month with a lot of neotropical migrants moving through. And they're usually done by June. So May is kind of the holy month here mm -hmm. uh, for the spring neotropical migrants. Um, you know, and then June is kind of your breeding bird surveys and uh, July starts the fall shorebird migration. Sure. And then that's, that's kind of a leisurely affair, you know, well into even early October. And then our passerine migration in the fall is also uh, a much longer kind of more leisurely pace that really starts to kick in about uh, first couple weeks of September. Nice. So you have a, a fairly typical, I, you know, I'm, I'm from farther west, a fairly typical East Coast migration year. I know you're not obviously not on the East Coast, but east of the Rockies, I guess. East of, uh, and, and you're kind of on the Mississippi Flyway, I guess, more or less. We are. We, we get a little bit of overlap. Um, in fact, the place I was this morning, uh, we'll have Western Meadowlarks. Uh, I think that there have been a couple Western sandpipers and, you know, more classically Missouri flyway or mm -hmm. even further West type birds show up. We did have a Western Kingbird in Johnson County, I think two years ago. So we're seeing some overlap. And what I've found particularly interesting is, you know, we're seeing uh, more Southern and Western birds in Iowa. That's, nice. that's definitely a big trend. Yeah, I've, I've heard that in other places. Uh, so uh, I, I've got a question for you. I just thought of this. I, I hear a lot of birders. I talked I talk to a lot of birders on this podcast, and, and I talked to a fair number of birders who were birding from a young age, like you were, just got started young and, and just never stopped, just have been birding ever since. And then I talked to a fair number of birders who are more like myself, who really didn't get birding till they were adults. I started in my thirties. And so uh, that's, but I don't talk to a lot of birders who are pretty avid birders as a teen, and then just kind of really backed off for a long time and got back into it. Uh, did that come back quickly? What was that like? Um, it did. I really did have to relearn a lot of the songs and, mm -hmm. and, calls in particular but in many ways birding is easier now than it was in the 1970s because of you know well ai for one thing but just even ebird and being able to localize birds and hot spots much yeah. easier um the difference is the numbers of birds particularly in iowa iowa has really kind of been decimated uh, as far as our grassland birds and our insectivores mm -hmm. uh, and it looks very very different i can remember as a kid 
growing up in Cedar Rapids, we would have flocks of migrating uh, brewers and rusty blackbirds that would go on for minutes, mm-hmm. you know, and you probably were seeing tens of thousands of birds passing over. Mm-hmm. These days, I see on average, you know, five to 15 rusty blackbirds a year. Yeah. Uh, and they, and they are a species that is really in trouble. Yeah. Uh, the other big thing I noticed was the, the aerial insectivores. You know, when we were growing up, you had chimney swifts out all day, every day. You just, It was just a background noise. You could hear them. Mm-hmm. Uh, and now we'll have one every once in a while pass over the house. Uh, we used to have big flights of common nighthawks. And mm-hmm. I can remember as a kid going to the Dairy Queen and you had those old mercury vapors. Oh, yeah. Street, street lights. And as they shone down, there would just be this cone of insects and they'd be zipping down to get those insects. And, mm-hmm. you know, again, I see maybe a couple dozen nighthawks a year, you know, and that's just been really sad. Yeah. It's, uh, you know, same stories everywhere. I grew up in Maine uh, and at camp, whippoorwills were just part of the background evening noise in the early summer. I mean, you just heard them all the time. Every night for hours on end, you just heard the whippoorwills calling. It was just wonderful. And they just don't, aren't, you know, you can't find a whippoorwill in, in Kennebec County, Maine right now, I don't think. So it's a lot of, a lot of those insectivores have really hit it up. It has to be, it has to be insecticides. I can't imagine what else, but yeah. yeah. Well, I think the pressures in Iowa are, you know, farming looks a lot different than mm-hmm. it did in the 1970s. In the 1970s, you'd drive out on the on the gravel roads and there would be uh, telephone lines, there would be fence rows, there would be intact fences, the ditches mm-hmm. were full of weeds and grass, the waterways were full of weeds and grass. And now what's happened in Iowa is they pulled all the fence rows out uh, the phone lines are buried or all coalesced into these gigantic towers. Yeah. Uh, and there's just no habitat for them. Yeah, there's no rural habitat left. And that's what's particularly troubling. Yeah. It, it is, uh, you know, grassland birds and insectivores seem to be the the hardest hit. I mean, all, almost every species of bird, uh, with rare exceptions, you know, maybe crows and a few things, uh, but with rare exceptions, are are down. But uh, grassland birds and insectivores seem to be getting the worst of it. Yeah, it's it's a real concern. Yeah. So you've been birding now, you know, big time, a hard, hard, hardcore for a few years. What what really excites you now about birding for? I saw you did a big year last year in Johnson County. That ha- that had to be fun. It was fun, and I learned a lot from it. Uh, we have a really good birding community here, uh, and there's a lot of uh, younger people, uh, 20s, 30s, that are very active and extremely good birders, and I've learned a lot from them. Um, and it's kind of fun because i kind of sort of doing a low-key Johnson County big year again this year, but I found that with what I learned last year, I 
don't have to put in quite as much effort. I can go some other places too. I hear you. Uh, you know, after birding a county, we have a, a cadre of Pierce County birders here in Washington, and, and Bruce Labar, a good friend, is always the number one list. I mean, yeah, almost always the number one lister in the county. And uh, and you know, you just get a routine down. Okay, March fifteenth, I know I'm going to go here. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I'm not worried about that bird. I always get it in June at such and such a place or whatever. So yeah, you you learn you save some steps and have time to just get out birding and see what you see. Right. I, I actually intended to go to a Johnson County hotspot this morning. And then I just kind of realized on my way that I'm running out of time to maybe catch a Smith Longspur close by. Oh, and yeah. This Cone Marsh, they have been seen there, I think as recently as 2020. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's usually that first week of April. Uh, and I think I probably just missed them. You know, it, it, once the Lapland long spurs are gone, you're probably not going to find a Smith's. Yeah. Yeah. So did you get that a Smith's last year in your big year? Um, not, not in Iowa. Not in Iowa. Okay. Not in yeah. Johnson County. Yeah. No, I, I got my, my Smith's long spur down in Oklahoma. Yeah. That's a little, a uh, little bit easier there, I think. Right. <laughs> Oklahoma is a place I've always, it's kind of on my to-do list, a winter trip to Oklahoma. Were you down there in the winter? When I went for Smith's Longspur, yes. Um, Last year, when we were on our way to Texas, I I, uh, stopped and birded with uh, the Radford boys uh, near their place in Tulsa. Mm -hmm. And I was thoroughly impressed. I've heard it's great, yeah. It's very birdy. There's a lot of excellent habitat, uh, great variety of birds. I I will never forget the day where I saw probably two dozen Mississippi kites mm-hmm. and, you know, at least as many scissor-tailed flycatchers, literally within a couple miles radius. Very nice. So what time of year were we there again? Well, that would have been uh, early June. Okay, so that was a summer trip. I mean, really, right. you know, breeding season right. trip. Okay, I I didn't realize. Yeah, I didn't realize the long spurs were bred down there. Oh no no no! Uh, th- that was the last time I was there. I went for the long spurs. Uh, would have been late November, early December. Okay. That makes more sense. Okay, right, twenty one, I think. Um, right, and that was there in big numbers around a lot of those lakes at that time. Mm-hmm. Nice, nice. Yeah, I I don't have a lot of long spur experience. I uh, I got my Smiths in Alaska uh, on in a summer trip on after a big schlog out into the the uh, tundra and uh, uh, made a trip to the uh, Dakotas in the in the summer and and got a couple of long spurs there. But uh, really few and far between for me. So that'll I'm looking forward to that. I got to get down there some winter. Yeah, I think I might. Uh be passing through North Dakota in July and I'm hoping to see maybe some chestnut collared long spurs on, on breeding habitat. That is fun. That is definitely fun. Good for you. You making a trip out there birding or going for other reasons? Yeah, we're going to go West and uh, work our way to the Pacific Northwest uh, actually. And uh, uh, we're going to do, uh, take a short Alaskan cruise just up to Juneau or oh, actually. Very nice. Stand, when uh, when are you doing that? 
that will be in July, July. Uh, okay. like third week of July. Okay. Well, I'm in Tacoma, so if you, uh, I'll be around in July. So if you want to get out birding locally, just look me up. It'll be fun. Absolutely. Yeah, with J- July is the time to get to the mountains here. Uh, right. Uh, so I don't know if you need any, uh, you know, any uh, gray crowned rosy finch or stuff like that. Or I don't know. Who knows? The breeders are still here, hard to find, but they're still around. I had a great year for rosy finches, I think two years ago, uh, got uh, gray crowned and um, brown capped at a feeder uh, in Colorado. Yeah. And then the same trip, we picked up black rosy finch in Utah. I nice. think I think it was at uh, uh, Capitol Reef. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I my I've only seen black or rosy finch once. It was in New Mexico. I, I is it Sandia Sandia Pass or Sandia Lodge? Anyway, there's a there's a ski area up there that uh, uh, you can you can go in the in the dining room, so to speak. Is when I was there, there was nobody in the dining room except me. I kept buying diet cokes to keep, keep my seat and waited by the feeders there. So I got a nice warm look at black rosy finches that's kind of my black rosy finch story yeah they're they are a super cool bird oh absolutely yeah very nice so what other than a trip out uh, out to my neck of the woods in july do you have any other uh, upcoming trips planned uh gonna head down to western kansas uh this coming weekend and go for lesser prairie chicken mm-hmm. uh there's a gentleman that has private property in a lek uh, that is still uh, has authority. I, I don't know if it's from the National Park Service or uh, anyway, he he does lead some small groups to the nice. lek. And I'm going to go on from there. I'm going to try and get a mountain plover uh, mm-hmm. in Colorado. And then I still still haven't seen greater sage grouse so i'm going to go up to the walden colmont area the north park area of colorado for that one good for you good for you chicken trips are fun they are you know you, you get to a lack lexer they are special you have to say it's it's just fun we have one reliable lek in iowa uh in south central iowa almost to the Missouri border uh, where greater prairie chickens can be expected. So I'm going to start my trip there on my way down. Okay, good. So you're going to get maybe four fancy chickens on this trip. That'll be nice. Yep. Very cool. Very cool. I had asked you, you mentioned to me when we talked briefly that you've been listening to the podcast and, and been enjoying that. I, I have to say, I don't have a lot of listeners who uh, come forth with that. So what I, I, I want some uh, feedback. What, what do you like about this podcast and what could I do better? What, what, you know, you know, help me. So I learned of your podcast from uh, the Radfords when mm-hmm. you interviewed them. Uh, so I started listening uh, I like having a smaller panel of guests or only one guest. Uh, some podcasts where they have multiple guests, the uh, volume is hard to regulate and people tend to talk over each other. Um, 
And I like your emphasis on, you know, people's kind of birding backstory. I think that's very interesting. I, I, I find that fun too. So that's why I do it. <laughs> Good. Do you have any suggestions, things, things you'd like to hear or think I could do better? Not really. I mean, just keep doing what you do. Uh, I like to hear from people from different parts of the country, different parts of the world. I, I love to hear about, you know, these exotic trips uh, that hopefully someday I'll take. Um, so it's all good. Yeah, good. Yeah, I. you might want to listen to my last podcast. I put up a podcast episode this morning. I. Uh, it had been way long. I, I try to put two episodes up a month. I used to think every week, but it was it stopped being fun, and I went to twice a month, and, and that works for me. But I, uh, I just got back from a six-week trip to uh, the Florida Keys and then four weeks in Costa Rica. A friend of my, my uh, partner, Marion's, uh, has a a vacation home in Big Pine Key, and we stayed two weeks there, really just vacationing, but, you know, birders go birding. And, and so I talk a little bit about that. And then my daughter lives in Costa Rica. Uh, and so it's kind of my home away from home sort of now. I'm starting to get a feel for Costa Rica. And I, I like Costa Rica. It's a cool place. And I just got back from four weeks there. So I just kind of put in a I'm still around. This is what I've been doing sort of podcast, not really a, a typical one with a guest, but I'm back with a guest with you. So I'm excited about that. Uh, the other podcast I wanted to just give a, people a heads up about, I had Holly Merker on recently. I don't know if you heard that episode, but Holly is just this really special person. She is a, a top birder. She uh, She's a guide for George Armistead's uh, birding. I forget the name of his uh, uh birding company, but she's a guide for him and has just been a top uh, ABA birder for decades. But she's uh, started a, really a movement, Mindful Birding. Uh, and I had her on as a guest and just really kind of changed the way I think about things a little bit. Very, very special. Uh, and uh, she just put up, she and another Holly, I forget the other Holly's name, just put up a Mindful Birding podcast. And I uh, got to listen to the first few minutes of the first episode before I talked with you this morning. I think it's going to be good. I think put out a shout out for Mindful Birding podcast. People should check that out. Yeah, I absolutely will. Yeah, I think it'll be fun. Uh, anyway, uh, Jim, thanks for being on with me today. I really appreciate it. Are there other podcasts that you especially enjoy listening to? Um, I do listen to kind of several uh, birding podcasts, and I, I like the field guides. They're a very kind of long, you know, it's almost like a two-hour uh, podcast, mm -hmm. and they're out in the field, and they're very well-rounded naturalists mm -hmm. and I, I really strive to be a more rounded naturalist and learn more about plants and insects and, you know, entire ecosystems. And I think they do a particularly good job of that. Mm -hmm. um, and then of course I, you know, listen to a few current event type podcasts, etc. Sure. sure. Cool. Uh, well, I uh, always try to give uh, guests a chance to put in a pitch for something they want people to know about. Is there a, a, a movement or a cause or anything you want to put in a shout out for? You know, I have uh, I have brothers who are farmers, dairy mm -hmm. farmers, and I really feel that there's a way that farmers and conserva conservationists can play together and uh, benefit each other. Mm -hmm. um, just, it's difficult. Um, 
and in in particular in this political climate but uh that would be the thing and and the other thing is i wish people would maybe look at their yard and their own lifestyle a little differently and just kind of strive to live a little more sustainably that's something my wife and i have really been doing these last four or five years is just kind of trying to shrink our carbon footprint a bit um, and kind of champion planting native plants and creating habitat for birds and other wildlife. I check. I I looked at your Facebook page. Uh, You've got some pretty cool yard pictures there. Yeah. So if people wonder what you're talking about, they can check that out. Oh, thank you very much. Cool. Cool. So, uh, Jim, what's the best way for people to reach out to? If, if, if somebody wanted to get a hold of you, how could they find you? Uh, I think probably easiest would be uh, through Facebook Messenger or email. That type okay. Of thing. Very well. Well, if it's okay with you, then I will uh, put a link in the podcast notes to your Facebook uh, page and people can reach out to you that way. I'm always a little reluctant to put email addresses on online somewhere where you can get spammed to death. So I'll pass on that. But anyway, Jim, thanks so much for being a guest today. I really appreciate it. Good luck with your trip out West here. Maybe we can meet up during that and, uh, and get out birding together. Sounds great. Thanks now. Take care. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Ed. Well, that wraps up the Bird Banter podcast number 151 with Jim Kettlecamp. In the podcast notes and on birdbanter.com blog post related to this episode, you'll find links to ways to contact Jim as well as additional information that relates to this episode. Thanks for listening. Until next time, good birding. Good day.